Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Sean Bank, co-founder and CEO of Imagine X Consulting. Imagine X Consulting is a technology consulting firm whose mission is to deliver value to clients through a unique blend of modern capabilities powered by progressive methods and old-fashioned work ethic. Specializing in cybersecurity, software engineering, and cloud DevOps and automation, data insights, and technology consulting. Man, that is a lot. Imagine X has repeatedly been named on the best places to work list, boasts a 600% growth in the last three years, and is aimed to skyrocket with Sean now leading the charge as CEO. Sean is a UGA grad who started his career at Accenture. He worked his way up the ladder with Slalom Consulting before launching Imagine X five years ago in 2016. Over the years, Sean has collected more awards than we can count and expertise in areas of digital marketing strategy, web and mobile strategy, customer strategy, agile management, technical architecture and road mapping, business process design, just to name a few. We are pumped to host you on the podcast today, Sean. Let's jump right in. Man, even just getting through yeah. your intro. I mean, I feel like we needed some like cue the clapping, you know, like we need to, we'll, we'll put a clapping track on this. That sounded a lot better than it actually is. I wish uh, it sounded really good. But that, that's uh, that's 20, 22 years of, you know, doing some pretty good things, making some mistakes, but overall yeah. having having a really good time doing it. Hell yeah, man. Awesome. If it's if it's that hard to read, it must be that interesting to live, you know? That's that's a lot of work in there. Uh, I'm curious. Let's let's back up a second. Mm-hmm. What were the series of events for you that led you to what you're currently doing today? Starting with, you mentioned this before we were talking off off uh, camera uh, that you are South African, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So we can start maybe you coming here and then how you, how you got into this whole world. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Let's go all the way back. Come on, take me back to the old country. Yeah, because I think I think it's relevant in, you know, and I think it's very pertinent to our world around us. You know, in the United States today, um, you know, we're living in a very historic time—a time where probably more than any time in in our nation's history, um, we have folks um, of all races, colors, ethnicities religions, um, all different backgrounds that are now in these great positions of power uh, in the government. And you you have to see the American dream is alive and well, um, especially for all those immigrants that, that are in the rest of the world looking at America as the model. Mm. And it's always seeing this as the land of, of opportunity. And that is, that's the reason why my parents um, back in 1994, decided to give up their own really wealth, their own stability and and a pretty good lifestyle in South Africa to give my sister and I the opportunity um, to have a better life than than growing up in South Africa, which was obviously, you know, I grew up during apartheid South Africa and, you know, I saw a, a lot of discrimination in front of my eyes and a lot of inefficiencies and corruption in the government and, my parents, you know, luckily made that life decision to give everything up, bring us over to the United States so that my sister and I could get an education in the States 
and be able to live the American dream and, you know, really 25, almost, uh, yeah, about 20, almost 30 years later, you know, I'm proud to say that, that I feel like I have achieved the American dream as the CEO of, of a growing company, yeah. love every minute of, of every day of what I'm doing. It's uh, yeah. been a blessing and, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And all I can do is thank my folks for, for doing that. Man, are, are they still, uh, are they still with us? My mom, is, she lives down the road um, okay. and uh, I see her as often as I can with COVID. And, and my father, unfortunately, passed away um, about a year ago. But okay. uh, he luckily was around when, when I got promoted to CEO. And so I think so he, was, cool. he was really proud of me, you know, kind of achieving that. And, um, you know, I was proud to have him around and, and come check out our new offices and, and yeah. uh, meet a lot of my, my colleagues. and and hear about the, the cool things we're doing. I think he was really proud of that. And I'm, I was really happy to, to have that, you know, be, before he passed. Yeah. Yeah. That's where my mind was going. I was just hoping they got, they got to see at least some yeah. of, of, of what you've done with your life. It's amazing. So how did you get into this, uh, to this kind of entrepreneurial journey and even this, this kind of specific niche you, you've gotten into with business? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of funnily enough, when I was at, at, uh, University of Georgia, you know, very much focusing on on football and uh, extracurricular. Yes. Instead of studying, I actually was managed to do pretty well uh, in school. And I was uh, I was majoring in marketing, and I remember having a conversation with my mom saying, um, "Well, um, you know, I uh, I'm about to be done. I'm just going to kind of hang out for my my senior year and not do anything." And she was like, "No, no, no. You either." you know, getting, getting a job. If you're going to graduate early, you need to get another degree. And so I said, well, I want to stay and keep uh, having a good time. So I added a degree and at the time, <laughs> this was, this was back in, uh, you know, in uh, 1999, uh, you, you know, I was kind of looking out there in, in business, what is a great business degree and um, you know, information technology kind of jumped out because that was right when we we're in this big, uh, this this dot dot com boom right at yeah, the time, hmm, right there right? um, was right in the middle of it and so there was this hype around you know technology and all these these um, you know large e commerce companies coming up cloud was was not even a big thing then but um, you know technology was kind of the wave of the future and so I jumped into uh, essentially MIS degree as my yeah. secondary degree and very quickly started really enjoying the problem solving part of that in school and right out of school um, went to work at Accenture inside of IT. And that has been my career ever since. Um, still like to flex my marketing muscles. I've luckily been able to do that significantly at ImagineX where as a small company, uh, you, you kind of have to wear many hats. So it was great to, to be able to use, use uh, that expertise. But Really, my career was in IT at a very large company, one of the largest employers in the in the world, and yeah. kind of learned the business, learned how to solve problems for my customers through technology. And over the course of my career, um, did a lot of traveling, and uh, and then it was time for my wife and I to settle down and, and start having a family. And so I kind of shifted from large. Um, consulting to mid-sized consulting uh, at a company, Slalom Consulting, which was a local yeah. consulting company and allowed me to be at home and, and really be there for, for my, my newborn children. And that's what gave me a taste of 
the entrepreneurial life because it was a small mm. growing company, had a very vibrant culture, was very focused on um, you know, going out there, um, solving problems, helping out um, scale the business wherever it made sense and, and essentially grow um, the reputation of the company kind of one client at a time. And I really just love that entrepreneurial hustle um, yeah. in those early days. And that then got me to the position where I had felt I had uh, kind of really learned how to grow a business from the ground up and was ready to venture out and, and, and try to do it myself. Although uh, luckily had, you know, and have a few other co-founders that joined me on this journey so that it wasn't just me and only me taking this, this massive risk. I had some colleagues with a similar background that were also at the same point in their lives mm. with ready to do it. So there was a little bit of safety in numbers and knowing if we all put our heads together, we can, we can be successful. Yeah. I'm curious. We don't always ask this, but I probably do always wonder about this. For you, everybody, I know everyone's got their different jumping off point, right? Uh, the reason why now was the time, you know? And I'm curious for you, why was, when, when you guys did pull the trigger to go and to start this, what, what helped you make that decision? Yeah. It was a great question. I think there were a few factors, right, um, that, that kind of made the time perfect. And all these factors, I think, had to come together at the same time for it to be an easy decision for me. Um, you know, one factor, um, you know, I would say is I felt um, a little bit kind of pigeonholed at my old company where I felt I'd learned as much. I had really grown up in the company, but I was still always seen as a junior guy because that's how I started. I was one of the first younger right. guys. And so it was tougher for um, some of the senior folks to see me as, as a more, uh, as a senior leader. So mm -hmm. I felt a little bit stuck there, um, in, in my career. Um, so that was kind of, kind of one of the factors. Uh, one of the other factors is, you know, my, my four other co-founders, we had, you know, we all worked together at Accenture, uh, actually up in Vancouver, and then we all diverged paths and, and a couple of us, um, went to smaller consulting companies and then another couple of guys, built their own consulting company from the ground up, grew it to about 350 uh, consultants and, and it got acquired by a larger company. Mm, and yeah. so as part of staying in touch with them, because we've, we've all been friends since the, that, that initial project, staying uh, connected with each other, snowboarding every year. So we were all well connected. And, um, you know, in just that regular connection, um, you know, we were talking about how work was at, you know, at the, the um, um, working now again in, in, in big consulting with the acquired company, uh, well, the acquirer, they, they were like, this is, this is terrible. We hate being back in corporate America. <laughs> and we loved building a company from the ground up. It's great that they got acquired, but they were back stuck in, in, in the corporate wheel. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they were saying, man, we just, we can't wait to get back out of this. And, and, um, you know, do something from the ground up again. And, you know, I had always, they had wanted me to actually join their previous company a few years earlier. And I just didn't feel that that was the right time before then. I felt I still had learning to do. But this time around, maybe hindsight being 2020, I saw their success. So I knew that if they did it again, they would be very successful. And if I could join them, then we'd all be successful. So it was a little yeah. bit of 
FOMO, that fear of missing out, knowing that yeah. th these guys did it before, we can certainly do it again. And that combined with feeling pigeonholed, for me, it was like, it was an easy decision. And, you know, my wife was kind of the final decider. She asked me a few questions about, you know, do you love what you're doing now? I'm like, ah, I'm feeling like I'm losing the passion. Do you yeah. trust these, these guys that you've worked with in the past? Yes. Um, you know, are, are you excited about going out on your own and starting from the ground up? I said, absolutely. And she said, well, that's an easy decision. And mm -hmm. the rest is history. Come on. That was yeah. the second question I was going to ask is how that conversation yeah. went, went with your yeah. wife. It's always. She was so supportive. I mean, it was, look, it was a grind. It was tough, you know, starting from the ground up, going from a very stable, stable job, you know, good salary, really, you know, I built up a good reputation uh, inside of my company. I could have stayed there and been happy for a long time, but I've always been, um, you know, driven, um, you know, to kind of prove to myself that I could do it. Even as a, as a kid, you know, in South Africa, I, I you know, was playing with He-Man action figures when I was a kid. And as soon as I, I grew them, I went and I sold them all. And, uh, and then I was breed, you know, breeding fish in a couple of fish tanks at my house. And I would sell them. <laughs> so I always had, this, always had this, you know, kind of entrepreneurial nature deep in me. And it, it was just... Um, for me, it was it was the right time, even though I knew that it was going to sacrifice, you know, a, a stable job, pretty much giving up everything, not taking salary for a long time, and literally, you know, having to sell stocks and everything just to keep living. Um, it was really hard for mm. about a year and a half, but at no point did I ever doubt that that we wouldn't be successful and we'd figure it out, and and um, and we have. So it's, it's come on. Was it was a good risk, you know, one of those. Heck yeah, yeah. And one of the ways that I've I've often thought about it, like any principle, it's not always true, but I think for the most part it's true. Which is, if you're the kind of person that wants a safety net, you have to be willing to accept that it comes with a ceiling. Yeah. If you're the kind of person that's tired of ceilings, you've got to be okay with the safety net going away, right? That is very true. Very it's the give and take. It's like, I don't want a ceiling. I want to grow as big as yeah. I think I can big. It's like, all right, you, you got to lose the safety net. Yeah, right? no risk, no reward, right? I mean, exactly. that's really it. And um, for me, again, this was as calculated a risk as I could take, you know? Um, and, I, you know, I just felt like... You know, a lot of people put their money in the stock market and you can you can try to play the stock market and, and figure it out. But, you know, if you're betting on yourself, you only have yourself to blame. So I knew, like, if I'm betting on myself, I have more control in being successful than, you know, investing somewhere else. And so that, for me, gave me a, a little bit of confidence. But, you know, there were many, many times in the past five years where I've just said, oh, man, what did I get myself into? Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, things don't go your way or with COVID, you hit a downturn and um, you have some of some really bad days. And that's just the the founder's life is the ups and downs. And I yeah. wouldn't for the world. It really would. Yeah. Well, I'd love to touch on that because, you know, I can't talk about a founder's journey without knowing that first year and a half, you know, pretty intimately. At that timeline seems to vary anywhere from two plus years or just under two years or whatever. But there's that early grind that you just feel like it could go either way, you know, but you have that confidence to keep going. How did you navigate that then? And then even from that point, it's, there's still a roller coaster journey. Like, I'm just curious how you, 
how you either mentally have built resilience or, or maybe some way you think about the downs. Um, what advice could you give other founders that may be going through that grind and that, that insecurity? Yeah. Yeah. It's look, I mean, you can, you can do as much planning as, as uh, you know, you'll go blue in the face doing it, but, and, and none of it will ever amount. The reality will never turn out exactly the way you planned. Um, but you should kind of, as, as you start up a business, expect that the first couple of years are just going to be really tough, especially if you do like we did with our business is we invested heavily upfront, right? We could have taken our business in, in IT consulting. It's essentially, we don't have a product, you know, our products are our people, right? And yeah. without, without their expertise and their consulting and their advisory to our customers, we really don't have a company. And so to start, it was a matter of, you know, number one, um, finding and and hiring on some really great senior folks and we knew that that would not be um not be inexpensive right because to to bring on great folks you do have to have to pay them pretty well right and you have to be able to to make the risk reward worth it for them right and to mm. their potential at the company um and in growing with the company uh and succeeding with the company so that was kind of tough in getting those first few folks and being able to essentially bring folks on before revenue, right? That's a, in, in technology consulting and in all professional services, it's, it's a fine balancing act with bringing on folks at the right time to be able to go drive revenue. So sure. for us, doing that kind of proactively was, was a tough thing because we knew it was going to create pain and that um, we weren't going to be profitable for a while. But we also knew that it was going to pay it's dividends. It was going to be worth it because we we needed to have two years of grind and hustle to start establishing our reputation out in the market and start delivering for our customers and start growing our expertise. And we just we just knew that we couldn't really rush that and that we would just kind of have to be very um, agile in attacking each issue as it came up. And for us, the key was not to let an issue kind of fester and think it'll resolve itself. But we had to address it and attack it very, very quickly because if you wait a couple of weeks or a month, that, that can literally sink you. And so mm, yeah. we got better, better over time in doing this, but it was, it was one of those things is you had to make decisions pretty rapidly. Um, and um, you always had to look at what were the best decisions for the business and just know that that hustle and that grind would start paying its dividends. And for us, it took really right on two years of, of pain until we started to kind of yeah. get over that hump and then start to see, cool. you know, see the benefits. Uh, quick tangent for us. Uh, you mentioned even the problem solving early is a, just a phrase that comes up a lot. You're in that consulting space that has that. And then you just talked about issue solving. And so I was I was curious about just any uh, any principles around issue solving that you apply to your clients or that you guys even think about internally, whether that's you know mind frames that you're wrapping around or even processes to go through. But any just issue solving principles um, that you've pulled from over the years that you feel like are vital that people yep. need to pay attention to. Yeah, Jordan, I would say the first thing is you have to believe. Look, I believe that every Every problem has a solution. I don't believe that there's an unsolvable problem. And some people um, take the philosophy that um, 
you know, you, you, you can just be a victim and not a creator. And woe is me, yeah. and this problem's not solvable. It's too big. I can't figure it out, so I'm not going to try. Um, right. Other folks choose to be creators and choose to say that there, there is a solution here. There's always a compromise uh, in everything. There's always an answer to a, the question. Uh, you just have to break it down into manageable pieces, right? Um, yeah. That don't seem so overwhelming and so big, and then you can tackle, uh, get to that end result. So that that to me has always been, been um, you know, one of the things that that I have felt has helped me in my career, yeah. and something that I speak with my leaders and my consultants all the time is, you know, it may seem big and overwhelming, but let's just break it down into yeah. smaller yeah. pieces and solve those, and then you'll get to the bigger solution, and it makes it yeah. way yeah. less overwhelming. So. Just, just break it down into, you know, smaller pieces that you can control, and you'll find that you solve for the bigger problem. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, a guy named David Goggins. You know, you heard of David Goggins? He's uh, yeah. Well, what what is he? I mean, he's kind of like marathoner. I guess he's like the ultimate like perseverance athlete, maybe. Um, and motivational speaker now too. Yeah. Certainly motivational speaker now. Um, but I I do like his his thoughts of like I've heard him say like there are things that are impossible. And just from his stance of like, Hey, I went and tried and there's certain things a human can't do. But I like that thought of like, for a guy like him who truly has done some things that you would have thought were impossible that he's pushed those limits. And so same thing with the problems, like, okay, if a problem is impossible to solve, let's actually do everything we can to really get there and go, no, truly like we found its limits. Like we can't do this. And uh, yeah, it is interesting. Drew and I, similarly, we, we, uh, or currently it's, it's something that's kind of on our minds talking about, uh, alchemy and just the thought of like the alchemist, you know, turning lead into gold, like, okay, that can't really happen. But a lot of people treat people issues in a similar manner as if like, no, you can't really get anything out of them than what's really there. And there is just that sense of like, we feel, we feel people just choose the status quo a lot on the people side of things. Which also reminds me of you, like, dude, you ha- how do you find these elite people? Like, you had to find elite people that could like do the work at the level, and you had to invest in them. But there was also a cultural element, I would, I would assume too, Absolutely. either that you got right or wrong and learned your lesson. Um, how do you guys take take that approach? Because it's got it's one whole challenge just to find the the level of brilliance that you're trying to find, and now I got to make you fit this team. Uh, what's the, what's been the way that you, you know, have you guys even matured, but how do you go about it now? How do you go about finding those people now? That's the toughest, that's the toughest thing, right? Is, is finding the folks that have the technical know-how, the passion, the desire to learn, and that kind of share the same ethics and morals and culture that, that the company feels. Um, look, it's, it's really tough. All I can say is you you know, over the course of my career in IT, it's, you know, a fairly tight-knit community and career paths seem to intersect and cross over a lot. And so you just kind of, over that time, find, you, you kind of know the type of person, you've worked with them, you, you there's definitely a, an underlying drive that, that, that you can, can, can kind of see and those are the types of folks that you gravitate towards. And those are the types of folks that gravitate towards you. And so we looked primarily, we, we went to our networks of the folks that we've worked with in the past that we, we trust, that we enjoyed being with and said, look, you, you know, 
Yeah, we know you guys have the aptitude. Um, we know that it'd be fun for you guys to work with us because you have to enjoy, look, if you can enjoy hanging out and working with the folks um, in your company, then what's the point, right? Yeah, yeah, not going to be fun. So you got to find those guys that, that, and gals that you, you just want to hang out with and you want to be friends with and, um, and share that, those same philosophies of wanting to tackle these challenge, challenges, you know, believing they can solve these problems. Uh, they just put their minds to it. And surprisingly, these folks gravitate towards each other. And so it, it wasn't that, it was difficult, but it wasn't as difficult as we thought. We found that a lot of folks really loved the story that we had and wanted to be part of that and wanted yeah. to put their fingerprint right in saying, you know, maybe 20 years down the, the road, they look back and say, man, that was one of the best companies I ever work, worked for. And I really you know, left my mark on that, at, at that company. Yeah. And I'm really proud of what I did there. Uh, yeah. that's the great majority of our folks. Well, yeah, that makes me, that makes me curious. Um, and maybe, you know, the answer, maybe you don't, maybe you've directly asked this to people or maybe you just have to guess, but why did those early consultants for the first couple of years, take a chance on you guys, right? <laughs> like you're taking a chance on them, but they're taking a chance on you instead of going to, you know, some other big power player or wherever they currently were. What do you think attracted them to, to Imagine X? I, th I think it was the autonomy, right? Is, is we wanted to be a different consulting company that didn't have the red tape, the bureaucracy of the, oh, well, hey, you know, the, um, the partner's in the office. So you all got to be in the office and wait till he leaves before you leave. There was never, mm. ever that. Because that's what we didn't like about our previous companies. And that's why we started the company. So we don't want to deal with that, that stuff. We don't want to have it... Uh, that bureaucracy and the feeling that um, you know a consultant can't talk to any of the founders. So we mm -hmm. we made it very transparent, super transparent, um, and very much about it, you know you can do whatever you want with your career. We're not going to babysit you. We're all adults. You know what you should be doing. So you don't need someone asking you to do what you're doing. I mean, it'll be very clear um, if you're not performing to us. So just go do do your thing. And as much as many areas as you want to add value, know that that's welcome. Wherever you want to help out, we will take the help. And so just being open to help and getting help, being open to their, you know, uh, their ideas and how to create different programs and methodologies and how we do our operations and how we build our culture and how we um, track performance, all these things we said, look, we want you guys to help us create this from the ground up. And so I think a lot of our folks were really excited by the prospect that they can actually help create the infrastructure of a company um, mm. and, and, and really have a great time doing it. So I think wow. that's what a lot of folks. Man, it's so uh, cool to hear. We've heard that over and over again, where it sounds like you flatten the hierarchy some, mm -hmm. right? And you let people... Um, have more autonomy, you know, more empowered, but the fear for a lot of people who haven't done that before is that you could be creating a recipe for being taken advantage of or a lack of accountability, cutting corners, that yeah. kind of stuff, but yeah. that's not the result you got. Right. So look, I mean, there've been very isolated incidents where that's happened. Look, I mean, we've grown up over time from just a few consultants to almost 80 billable consultants. And so as you grow, that becomes more of a problem. But for us, it was really about if you 
bring on the right folks, they're not going to want to do that. They really mm. are not going to want to, um, you know, not perform because it'll impact their team and they feel accountable to their team, right? Um, and they're not wanting to let their team down. So they, they perform and they mm. self-manage. Um, and so, and plus, you know, at a small company, sometimes it's tough to hide. So you can't really hide. It's very, we, we're all very, because we're flat, we all kind of know what's going on. And it's very clear if, uh, you know, if, if their folks not pulling their weight, it shows up. And, and very quickly, we try to help them to, um, to fill in those gaps. But we definitely don't, uh, you know, micromanage. Because honestly, we don't have time to micromanage. We have so yeah. many more strategic things to worry about in terms of running the business that we can't be doing that. We would, we would never survive if yeah. we took that approach. In larger companies, you can do it. But for mm -hmm. us, we needed everyone to be involved in business development and recruiting and operations and execution. Yeah. So we, we couldn't say, oh, well, you need to do this with your time. It had to be, yes, the general guideline of our expectations. Mm. You know, go work within those guidelines, but feel free to deviate where you think it makes sense, or tell us where it's not jiving, um, and we will we will adjust. And we've adjusted over the past five years. We've every year we do a pretty significant adjustment based on the feedback from our folks to yeah. make things better. You know, either uh, adjust our organizational structure if, if if folks felt like it may be getting a little bit um, too hierarchical. We had a point where we wanted to create different um, role titles to um, give folks more accountability. Um, and if that was doing the opposite effect, we said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get rid of that. So yeah. just like we do with our customers and trying to be agile and trying to get their products and services out to their customers more quickly and then listen to the feedback of the customers, we try to do the same thing internally, be agile with all of our operations and improve them. And if it's not working, don't be too proud to, um, you know, to, to fall on your sword and say, okay, you know, we're, we're not perfect. Uh, if this is not working and you, it's not motivating you guys, then, then let's change it. So mm. we do that regularly. And I think that's been very helpful because it shows that openness to, to be better. I mean, that is, that is our, um, you know, really our, our mission is to help our, our customers and our consultants be better. And so we use that mm -hmm. as, in all the decisions we make is like, how do we do the right thing for our customers, for our clients, for the company? And then everything else seems to fall in place. Yeah. So you're taking the, this, this role of CEO. How long ago was the, was that? It was the beginning of the year. So, uh, well, the yes. beginning of last year, not this year. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, like, welcome. Yeah. Fresh. I still feel like we're in 2020, but no, it was the beginning of yes. 2020. And so I literally oh. get my feet under me and then, COVID hits and everything wow. gets thrown upside down. That is okay. That is amazing. So I'm kind of curious about, so I probably, we probably could get some questions there, but I was, uh, my, my thought was around just the operational side of the practice. Cause there's, you know, are you still, uh, in a serving clients role? Are you in a client facing role ever in, in any manner or, and, and then really, how do you guys handle the operational side now? What does that What does that structure look like? And when did you make the choices to graduate into those? Like, how yeah. did those checkpoints hit? Yeah. So you, you know, when I when I um, co-founded the company in 2016, I was very much in a client-facing role. Um, yeah. In many cases, that's how we got kind of our first 
few customers was these were clients that I'd worked with many years in the past and yeah. as an execution guy. And they said, and I said, hey, give us a shot, brand new company. You don't know yeah. the company, but you know me and you know I'm not going to fail you. And they said, okay, yeah. we'll bring you on. And I came on and, and then I said, okay, let me bring on another guy to help me. And then they saw that I was bringing on really great folks that they could trust. And then I was able to start stepping away, but still being always yeah. involved with my customers. I am still to this day uh, talking to customers every day. And it's a, it's a, I love it. I really love yeah, that. It helps me, helps me stay close to, um, to what's going on. But, you know, the actual executing, I am doing less of that and focus more on business development, strategy, obviously operations and, and everything yeah. else that goes along with that. But also luckily now we've, um, you know, as we've grown, we've now got our senior folks, our next, you know, senior leaders in the company that are now in those types of positions yeah. that are handling all of that, overseeing all of our projects, making sure our customers are super happy and we're delivering, you know, huge value. Yeah. So for you, you've been able to, for the most part, make that graduation towards working on the business, feeling the freedom to think about the strategy and just the operational execution elements. That is the space that, that you guys are in now. Yes, but it's been it's been tough. Like with COVID, we've obviously had to be pretty reactive, right? The way yeah. COVID hit in um, in March, you know, we we did a lot of work in um, in hospitality and and travel, and obviously that industry was decimated by COVID, right? So we yep. had several clients that immediately overnight we had um, you know large. Uh, large teams of consultants working at that work stopped. And so that threw, you know, our business into disarray. And we had yeah. to very quickly start to pivot uh, to other industries to reassign folks that were coming off of client assignments to other clients. And unfortunately, you know, the strategy work took a little bit of a backseat, right? I started on that brand new into to the role in January. Yes, we're going to uh, we're going to get our five-year strategy now that we're coming up on our, our five-year anniversary. We're going to get years five to 10 knocked down. And then very quickly, it was like, oh, crap, we now need to go into um, a little bit of survival mode yeah. and very, very quickly. And we have to make some tough decisions super fast um, to, to navigate. And it would change every, you know, it, it was crazy uh, for our business. It's every Friday. It seemed like Friday was always the day you'd get you know, either great news or terrible news or sometimes great news and terrible news within hours of each yeah. other. It was like, it was like a roller coaster. I have never been in, in my career. And I lived through the, you know, the downturn in 2001, as well as 2007, 2008. And, and they paled in comparison to what we saw in 2020, because there yeah. was no reason about what was going on. And we were just trying to you know, just go day by day. And so yeah. strategy kind of took a back seat for about seven or eight months until we got into around October when things started to, at least from our business's perspective, stabilize, right? And I don't know if that is macroeconomically the same. I think it is because I speak with a lot of um, uh, other co-founders at, at similar companies and they talk about the ups and downs as well. But it seems like, the first six months with COVID and everyone working from home and companies not sure what they're going to do. Everyone was kind of sitting tight and waiting to see what happened. Uh, and then all of a sudden we realized, you know, around the end of summer that 
COVID wasn't going away and it wasn't going away for a while. And so we had, every company had to figure out how to, how to survive and just move on and adapt in the new world. And so our clients then started understanding, okay, we can't just stop everything. We now need to still get things done. They yeah. still have to operate their business. They still have to uh, implement technology solutions to help them be more efficient during COVID times. And so then we started to see our clients start to say, okay, we're ready for some more project work. And, and since October, it's steadily picked up. Man. So I'd love to press into is, you know, even from the beginning of, of 2020, some of the perspective that Jordan and I brought in was this idea of uh, forced innovation, right? That like, if you had to find a silver lining, and we were looking hard to find one, it was, well, maybe this would be a moment of forced innovation, right? Where, where this is going to um, move some things along because you had to with the constraints added. Yep. Then now looking back, again, I know we're not out of it, but looking back at least to 2020, you think, okay, people have great leadership lessons that came through great trials, right? So everyone's business IQ had the opportunity to go up if you made it through, or even if you didn't, right? Like if you survived yeah. in some way through 2020, and let's make sure we capture those and remember those because they could be the stories that we tell for years that adds value to future leaders and our company and that kind of thing. So I just want to reflect some with you, uh, whether you've done that already or just do it here kind of live on the podcast. But as you look back uh, from two different angles, one, what did you learn about leading a company through a storm, right? Were there any principles you relied on? Were there any strategies that seem to really help you guys find your way through uncertain times? And then the second lens would be, how did you lead yourself, right? Because those are, those are two different storms where you might be having an internal freak out and, yeah. oh my God, and you got to lead yourself. And then the company's got issues and question marks and bad news and good news. Uh, so I'm just curious as you reflect back to any major lessons kind of surface. Yeah, look, there, there are a lot. I mean, I tell you what, it, uh, you know, the past year aged me significantly, right? But I learned, um, look, again, I mentioned earlier, you know, not planning too far ahead, right? And COVID was a, a, a perfect example of you can, you can analyze all the what ifs. And we ran, I mean, we did this. It was a good exercise to go through um, with my director of finances. Let's go through multiple scenarios. If we have to downsize, what do we do? If we have to cut salaries, what do we do? What happens if uh, customers take longer to pay? What happens if customers stop their work, you know, how, how are we going to react? What are the levers that we can pull in the business to keep, um, you know, keep moving forward, survive this and, and do it as uh, with as few war wounds as possible. So yeah. there's a good amount of prep that I would say was really helpful for me um, to go through all those, those different scenarios to get a little bit of comfort knowing that we'll get through this. Because we, we, we now at least had an idea of what were those things, those levers that we could pull um, if it came down to it. And that yeah. made me help, it made me sleep a lot better at night knowing like if things, you know, when we, can, we need to pull the trigger versus just kind of guessing and then, and then worrying, did we make the right decision by doing that? So yeah. we did have to make some decisions in summer when things were getting, getting tough. Um, we did it. We... I felt really good about those decisions and because I had thought about it and strategized about it and already had communicated some of this to my senior leaders that they could help 
disseminate that message throughout the organization. So everyone kind of understood why we were making these decisions and, and respect them. And really we got tremendous support from, from our folks, right, in, um, in those decisions. Actually, I think it strengthened our morale and our cohesiveness by us being very transparent. And so that was the other lesson learned is like, don't, don't hide the bed yeah. from your folks, right? Like everyone was freaking out. People worried about their jobs, worried about, about everything. And so the least we could do is, is, you know, be very honest with them, explain to them, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, here's what we're thinking. Um, and being transparent, I had a, and I still do it to, to this day, I do a weekly update with my team. We would do a monthly all hands before COVID. As soon as COVID hit every Friday at noon, we do a, a weekly update and we just talk about everything that's going on. The so other good. And it's, it's sometimes we just, um, we're laughing. We're, um, you know, having a good time. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, things are tough and explaining that message to everyone, help them realize like, okay, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, everyone's can help the situation. And so we wanted to make sure that folks realize that it's not just up to the founders to solve all the problems and get us out of this. It's up to everyone to band together, right? Yeah. To help each other out because that's the only way we could get out of it. It wasn't, wasn't just a few of us trying to, trying to figure this out. Everyone had to, had to band together. And I think that transparency and that openness really, um, helped us get through this, keep morale up and keep our folks kind of excited about it, knowing that, you know, anything can happen, but at least these guys are thinking about all the options and, and, you know, always trying to do the right thing by us because yeah. that is, is our key mantra. And I would personally, when I would wrestle with this, you know, shifting to the second part of your question. Um, yeah. I mean, there were, there were, I had some terrible days in March and April. Um, it was yeah, to the point where we thought, you know, can we even survive this if things continue mm -hmm. the way they're going? And and what what's going to happen if if we don't survive? Like, how is that going to make me feel? Uh, am I going to feel like a failure? What am I going to do? I have um, a wife and three kids and a dog. And what am I going to, you know, like what what, what is going to happen to me? And so I had my own moments of, of doubt where I thought, oh my God, what if what if what have I gotten myself into and how do we get out of this? But luckily and thank goodness for my co-founders, right? Like this is where that support system, along with my wife, um, who's yeah. obviously you know my greatest support system, but my co-founders have always been there where I can bring up these concerns and you know they bring them up to me as well, where we can just Talk it out. And yeah, just by virtue of doing that, it's like your own, um, you know, psychiatry session where you just yeah. talk about and by the end of it, you actually may solve a lot of problems, but if not, you feel a lot better and you at least yeah. help each other, you know, get through it. And that I think helped me significantly. Man, it's interesting. I mean, the psychiatry session that you're talking about, like the, the thought of, I've thought about it multiple times Have you talked about kind of this, this past year, is like the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief. And, um, if you ever heard heard of that, like that is very real. And like, I think we as a society went through that. of like, hey, October, things seem to change. And I've heard that from others. It's like, I think everybody got towards acceptance. 
Yeah. We went through, yeah. we went through our denial, we and denial for it. a long time. That's for you sure. Know? Everyone was saying it's going to be back to normal by July. I'm like, yeah. we, are, we are in denial. <laughs> yes. I mean, is, I mean, that is exactly it. We're like, no, 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 by, by summer, everything's going to be back to normal. It's going to be great. And then we're like, uh, yeah, we're going to keep our offices closed at least till the end of the year. And then it, it became very apparent. I think also in October, and November, you know, more so with the vaccines, now you kind of see that there may be a light at the end of the, yeah. the tunnel where life can get back to normal. And so now we have more clarity as to what it's going to be and what the new normal is going to be. And yeah. there have been some great benefits out of this, right? The, the beauty is I'm, I'm chatting with you guys from my, my, my house. Yeah. And right after this, I can uh, go hang out with, with my kids and catch up on the day. That, that's that really wouldn't have been there pre-COVID where I would have been at my office, um, you know, in and out or at customers. So the great thing is doing way less corporate travel and, and probably now our clients that were heavily, uh, you know, you guys need to be here on site. Now they understand that we can do just as good, if not better, by being remote. So we've totally yeah. proven that, that we can be effective and efficient being remote. And so that's kind of changing our model as well and giving our consultants more time at home. So yeah. it's, it's definitely a silver lining in this whole, uh, this whole pandemic. And I think our, uh, our business is only going to be stronger because we focused on efficiencies. We focused on strengthening some gaps that we, um, that we had in the business that we needed to fill in. And we're coming out of this pandemic more laser focused than we ever were before. So yeah. I have to be optimistic. Yeah. Man, I, I mean, just being in the consulting industry and being in that professional services space, you'll you'll get me when I when I share this. But the 2020, the best thing that happened was I did not receive a, an award that I hate receiving, which is my Delta Frequent Flyer Miles Award. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know, I know. It's like every time I, uh, I've, you know, I kind of escalated up, and I'm like, yeah. I don't like this reward. Like, I appreciate it. I and they make me feel good about it. Getting all but those that just tickets you don't know what to do with now, right? Yes. That's I'm exactly just, what it represents. I'm them up to go and use them for vacations. So yes. that'll be the, the nice reward from those. But I'm the same way, you know, being a, a road warrior, it was it took a toll on my health. Um, and, you know, because I would travel to San Francisco a lot and yeah. would get sick all the time, all the time because of that. And now... Haven't coughed in uh, in over a year, you know. Knock on wood, and um, in a COVID know. year, that's that's especially yeah. something too. Uh, if you do, you better hide it, man. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is very true. So, um, you know, so it's been a it's been a blessing in many 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 ways, and the fact that we, you know, we're able to weather the storm. I've had the the great benefit of having great co-founders and a yeah. great set of senior leaders to to help me it hasn't mm -hmm. it's been terrible but, yeah. but it's also been amazing it's been it's been a year i would never ha, never give give up for anything because i learned so much the stresses and the successes because this yeah. is just as sweet as the stresses yeah i mean just that thought you mentioned even about the team and like the the whole organization understanding like the founders aren't going to get us out of this problem like we got to be in on this too and inviting people into that space I mean, the reality is, is like, okay, when the wind isn't at our back, like the wind's down our face, like everybody's got to be rowing. Yep. I think that is the powerful thing. Drew and I have a small, uh, small team, but that was the, the best decision to happen for us at, uh, for this past year is like, we decided to do a 
to become a team instead of just being individual people who strategically partnered up every now and then when we have a client to work on and actually say, hey, let's go build a company. The silver lining is as hard as that was. And in some cases, you're like, I can't believe like this was the worst time to choose to build a company. It also was the time where it's like, man, we need a lot of hands to row this boat. Yeah. And it's a lot, it's a lot better that we have some hands yeah. now. Yeah. And that has been powerful. Yeah. You said several things that I just want to capture for the audience that I think were gold coming out of your lessons of this year. You know, one is around that team solution idea. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I just happened to be listening every night on Audible to um uh what was it called? The Splendid in the Vile. And it's uh Eric Larson's recount of literally all the journal entries diaries of Winston Churchill, his surrounding staff, and all people kind of involved during his time fighting against, you know, invading Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And so I was literally every night listening to this wartime leader as our world was somewhat in this war, you know, this kind of chaos. And one of the things I noticed was his team solution. That like some of the most pivotal breakthroughs that came came from people you wouldn't expect it from that had the right to come to him and say, hey, I was just listening on the radio and I overheard this thing and I think this is a strategic weakness in the enemy and he would take it and give it to his generals and the generals would get feedback from the front lines. And yeah, so that was one, it was like learning to involve all these people to we will make a solution, right? Yes. Second is actually uh, his form of communication. He increased it dramatically, which is the exact same thing you did. So going from a once a month rhythm which is likely already more than most companies are doing and increasing it to once a week. And he had, whether it was through the radio or through handwritten letters, he was constantly communicating. And then he was getting on people, you know, really hard if they said anything too long. So he was like, he would, he would sniff out any of the like BS, you know, and basically like time is, is critical to me. You, you just spent a paragraph flattering me when I just need you to tell me exactly what you need to know and I can get back to you exactly what I want you to do. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that you did that as well. And then the third is something called fear setting. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Tim Ferriss. No, of course. Okay. So one of his kind of famous exercises that helped him with anxiety and depression and stuff was an exercise he developed called fear setting which was instead of avoiding fear or being afraid of something happening and kind of not looking at it, he would just kind of do an exercise what you did with your CFO, which is like, let's go through the scenarios. Yeah. Like, What are the fears? Let's play them out and let's go ahead and start making decisions on how we could influence it if it goes that way and the amount of peace you experience knowing if it does yeah. go that way, we've at least thought through it. You know, yeah. It's a version of like a fear setting exercise instead of being surprised by the situation and now you're scrambling and maybe making irrational decisions in the moment. Totally. Yeah. totally. No, well said. Well, you said it. I, I'm just, I was just writing down notes like, oh, that's, that's like this. That's like this. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. So good, man. So, yeah, you know, one of the things just to get into you personally, with all that you've got going on, not just COVID, but you've got a family, you know, you've got kids, you've got your own, you know, hobbies or lack thereof, your business. Um, what are some things that you do that you find? to be pretty critical for you to be able to show up, you know, each day, as many days as you can, uh, ready to rock and feeling like your, your mind's in the right, is, 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 is in the right spot. You're physically energized and you're able to keep showing up for the things that matter. Yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that one. Um, you know, I try to, <laughs> kind of silly, but, you know, every morning 
Um, you know, what I do is um, every morning when I'm in the shower, I've got 15 minutes, which is where I am kind of thinking about the day. And that's yeah. like I'm, I'm resetting my brain. I'm like, okay, here are the, here are the key things I want to achieve today. Uh, here's, here's what I need to do. And that kind of gets me, gets me ready. And it's really the only time where I, I have kind of 15 minutes to myself. Right. Mm. So uh, funnily enough, I, I do it in the showers is, is great where I, you know, get my game face on and um, say, you know what, today's going to be a good day. Uh, I think about the things that are going to be done and I, I get energized about, okay, I can knock all these things out. We can go close a deal today. We can fix a process today. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of, um, my daily kind of reset. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I try to do, um, you know, at least, at least once a week, you know, is, um, you know, try to get up, be a little bit more active than I've been in the past when I was on the road. So I'm playing quite a bit of tennis now, as much golf as I possibly can. And for me, just being outside, especially when the weather's nice here in Atlanta, as it's been quite a bit lately it's to me that's the, the biggest energizer right it's tough also with covid people feeling um kind of enclosed yeah if, if you can get out into the fresh air and you know just breathe right just mm -hmm. taking taking that deep breath and looking around and seeing um you know how pretty things are i, I remember during the beginning of covid right it was uh, april march and april in atlanta and i would take a lot of conference calls walking outside in the neighborhood. And I literally got to watch spring bloom right in front of me because I would walk every day and you would see the dogwoods and the azaleas coming out. And I was like, it was this amazing thing to me. It's so weird to say it because that's kind of silly, but I, I literally watched the seasons change yeah. right in front of my eyes. And there was something like immensely calming about that is, you know, you, you don't need to be cooped up in, in an office on conference calls. You can get out and, um, you know, even though you're on a conference call, there's something de-stressing about being outside and, and you know, the birds chirping that just gave me a, a sense of peace that helped me to be calm during times that, um, <laughs> that were pretty stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that shower, is that in the morning? Is that before the day or after the day? That's the morning. That's the yeah. morning. Yeah. So, that, so that's kind of your preset, right? Like you're getting all your, you're getting all your dials and everything switched on and focused in the right direction. Um, what do you do if you find yourself unusually depleted, right? Let's say it's not a normal day. It's not a normal feeling yeah. and you feel either mentally drained or emotionally drained or something like that. Like what's your go-to recharge? Ah, that's another good question. Go to recharge. Um, I would probably, and I'm not so proud of it, like, you know, watching a show on Netflix, right? For me, that's the <laughs> ultimate, like something, something, uh, and there's some good shows too, but so sometimes either just kind of mindless, mindless reality yeah. TV, um, but, um, you know, there's some really kind of interesting, uh, another benefit of COVID is you get to, yeah, there's some really good yeah. shows on Netflix. So what I've actually found like at night for me to turn my brain off, um, watching something on on tv for an hour it gets my brain totally out of out of yeah. work zone and just kind of changes it um, yep. also helps me sleep too and because because you know um if i if i do that then i can i usually can get a good night's rest because i'm not thinking about work yeah. um so it's kind of silly um you know i 
I would, re I started reading, but I felt that that didn't recharge me because it was actually getting me more amped up. A lot of the, huh. the books that I read, like Getting Naked or a lot of these business books, um, <laughs> end up, my mind starts spinning even more. And so I felt like that's not a good calming thing to do um, to do at night when I need to turn yeah. things off. So I went to, okay, let me just watch, a, watch a, an interesting show on Netflix that gets my brain thinking maybe a little bit more creatively. Less, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Especially when you're reading a book called Getting Naked, even if it is a, <laughs> even if it is a yeah. business book. You to read that before bed? What's that going to happen, man? You don't want that poor kid yet. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta keep that fourth kid away close that book up that's right no that that by the way was a strategy point for me three or four years ago I, I it's been years since i've read a book that applies to my business life or my personal growth at night yeah. because i will be up till two in the morning yeah. Yeah. making notes you know like hyped about <laughs> something it, yeah. oh yeah that's, so, that's well at night. but what that's i have done is i've gone into i've gone into either biography or fiction so like uh, almost like a show i was like well what if i could have a show in my ears yeah. right and so whether reading or audible that again yeah. it puts me in a different time context whatever that's more just creative almost like right brain it engages a different part of your it's brain. the right brain yeah it gets that kind of right brain abstract you still learn lessons but they're more intuitive and so you're able to rest into it instead of like logically left brain yeah. going for yeah, it it's probably better than watching garbage tv like i do oh, oh. <laughs> my wife and i does the same thing yeah, yeah, so my wife and I do one to two shows. The, our rhythm is like kids are finally down and we're at yeah. 8 o'clock, right? Yeah. So from like 8 to 9.30, we'll, we'll watch a show together. And then she goes off and reads, and I kind of have my – I do Audible. And mm -hmm. so I'll kind of do that for 30 minutes to an hour, put a sleep timer on there until I yep. fall asleep. Yep. Because um, the, the show is kind of us time, you know? It's like yeah, a, com a common thing. But then I've got to – she knows, like I'm unreachable after that point. I, I kind of get in my own head and I'm just decompressing, you know? That's good. That's good. I like yeah. it. We're, we're kind of similar. We also do the common show and then it's like, okay, she's ready for bed. And, and, and then I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I'm not quite Listen. ready. Exactly. So the problem was I used to be up till two, right? I was like, she'd go to bed and I'd be learning, reading yeah. podcasts, doing yeah. something. And I was like, man, this is That's killing too me. Because then you don't wake up refreshed. So you got to kind of find that right time where you're just tired enough to sleep well, but, you know, yes. um, and feel good the next day. But, yeah. you know, a lot of it is also, you, you know, that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you wake up and I think you're naturally a little bit more enthusiastic and passionate about what you're doing than, than some other folks that, that maybe uh, are working in corporate America. Because, like, 100%. it's your baby, you know, it's like it's yours you you uh you birthed the child and, and now this baby's growing up and so you're still there motivated every day and and for me it's cool because like i i'm now able especially now since october where i am now focusing strategically on the business so i have spent really the past two weeks focusing on our two-year plan and, and those those more strategic things and it's great because i can now reflect as i look back and i can see how far we've come and so it's, yeah. it's kind of cool because now you can see how, um, how all those things you had hoped would happen are like naturally happening. You're creating a great culture, which you can't actually, you can't actually say, okay, I want the culture to be this. And then poof, it just, it's that it's, uh, right. impossible. you know, it's, it's impossible to, to plan culture, but it's great to see, um, those, 
values come out in all of your folks where they're fun to be with, they have a great time, they're smart as, uh, as anything, they're solving problems, they're helping each other, and they're driving the business forward, and they're having a good time doing it. So to me, that's like, that's the greatest achievement is, and that's what keeps me engaged is seeing other folks excited about the business and doing good things and succeeding and, and you know, just going through annual reviews, which we just finished up. Yeah. I, I look at one of my, um, my um, employees, uh, she was one of our, our first female employees and in IT consulting, you know, we were predominantly male. So it was important for us to have gender diversity. And yeah. when we brought her on, um, she was helping out in, uh, we're focusing on government work and it didn't go so well. So after about six months, we said this experiment is a failure, so let's move on. Um, but she had that passion, all those things that I look for. And so we said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna move you into, into a slightly different role. And we put her in a position where she could succeed. And now over the past three years, you know, this, the, the growth that she's had has been amazing. So when I chatted with her in her annual review over three years, I'm like, this is just it's incredible to see how far you've come. And wow. she said, well, it's only because you guys are so awesome. I'm like, you know, I'm like, come on. Yeah. You don't need to, yeah, you don't need to butter me up. But she's like, no, it's true. I love what I do every day because you guys give me the, um, the leeway to do this and to make changes and, make improvements and you know she's amazing she's she's uh um you know she's a working mom and she's she's doing about three or four different kind of jobs for us all in one she's like superwoman and wow. so for me seeing that i'm like this is all i've ever wanted is provide an environment where people can succeed and so that's what makes me so proud and gives me the satisfaction that even if we don't make another dollar um we've been a success yeah, yeah. Well, that's, well, that's that's culture. I mean, that, that's the reality of like that environment in which people can succeed. Like, you can't necessarily create culture, but you can name it and you can tend to it and you can cultivate it. Yeah, like those things. I mean, thinking about it as a garden is like you walk up on a garden and you didn't know anything about names. Like, you could name the plants what you wanted to name them, and you yep. could decide which ones you want to pull out. That like these these don't belong here, and then you could water them. You could provide them sunlight. You could provide the soil that actually allows them to grow and flourish. And when it comes to culture, it's like you're pretty much stuck with who you are and who you guys as, as founders are and whatever dynamic that creates. And then you start bringing in those influential people. But you absolutely can begin to like pull those weeds and then create that environment that says, OK, this is actually something where something has the room to grow. You know, I love the um, the people and I guess the people who would teach about wine, but just the, the process of actually making great wine is just this powerful thing where you realize like, oh man, they actually cut off and clear space like the first time it ever provides fruit. They waited for three years for it to provide fruit. It finally did, but then they like trim off a bunch of it and yeah. let it drop because that's actually going to provide the nutrients for everything else for that next that next crop. And I just love that thought of like, oh man, cultivation is absolutely a part of, of culture. And I think that is just like that, the person like watching her growth trajectory over three years. Yes, like you are to be commended and your leadership is actually to be commended. And then there's a part that she's got to do too. Like she's yeah. got to grow, you know, she's got to show up and actually take a hold of the opportunities that have been given to her. But it does seem like both are actually responsible because you've been a part of cultures that probably the same opportunity wasn't going to be given to her 
or she couldn't even take it. Either one of those have been true, which is a big, you know, uh, current conversation in, in America right now. But both of those could be true and creating cultures where actually she can grab an opportunity and she can continue to grow. I think those are, are really powerful for, for all, all people. Yeah, it's seed and soil, right? So it's like you guys provide the soil, but each of these people are their own seed that has to figure out a way to push up through the soil and evolve and grow and become. Um, and that's so cool, man. I, it leads me to one question I don't think I've asked yet, um, but I'm sure if people are listening right now, they'll probably pick up on what I picked up on. But you seem to carry like a natural joy and optimism and passion that has come through from the moment we we signed on to Zoom. Uh, and I'm just curious where like there's a little I don't even know what strategically there's no reason behind this question. I'm just curious, man. Like where does that come from? Is that is that a chemical set in your brain that you think you're born with? Is it parents? Is it perspective? Like what's I, that about? I don't know. I don't know, but um yeah, it's it's kind of always been in me. I think part of it is you know, just just born into it, that type of person. I think part of it is definitely my upbringing, my dad particularly, was always the most upbeat guy. You know, mm. just a great guy to be around, would always want to help folks around him. And, yeah, I, th I think that kind of passion just, just um, um, passed on to me. So I, I, don't, know, I don't know where I get it, um, but, but... Well, man, it's awesome. It shines, I, it shines I through. It. I appreciate it. I, I, it's, yeah. I, it's just, some, I think, a little bit... I choose to, um, you know, always be the optimist, right? Um, there's really, and I think that helps put me in this frame of mind where, you know, things can be bad, but there's always good in every situation. So why go through your life being negative? That's not going to do you any good. You might as well be positive and enjoy yeah. everything for what it's worth. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that, but... It's, uh, I think it's, it's just, uh, it's just kind of who I am. Well, it's just curious, man. Cause one of, one of my best friends is also from South Africa, immigrant that came over with his family. He's yeah. a neuroscientist and he is one of the most optimistic, joyful people I know. And similar to your story, it's not, it's not the kind of optimism that's the result of being devoid of problems. That's naive. Uh -huh. It's the kind of optimism that has grown in the face of problems, which is like, which yeah. is like strength. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he has debilitating huh. migraines, like debilitating. Wow. And it's what made him become a doctor. He wanted to figure out first for himself and then for patients, like what's going on. And I've been with him literally, you know, for, to talk about me or to, to interview him about whatever. And I can see this like wateriness in his eyes and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And he'll tell me off camera or whatever. Like, I, you know, I have one of those blinding migraines. I'm like, dude, do you want to reschedule? You know, and he's like, no, man, no. he's like, I'm good. Like these happen all the time. Like, I can't let my life shut down for this. Like, how are you? Oh, it's, it's a little bit of the South African in us too. It might be. That's what I'm trying to figure out. What is this? Yeah, it's, you know, we, we, um, you know, we, we tend to, we always want to help other people. And I think it yes. gets really what, what, uh, what permeates throughout is, is that's, that's what I've always wanted to be is, uh, you know, you take these, these personality profiles and there are a million of them. Right. Um, and they kind of tell you what type of, um, um, person you are. And, and I did the test and mine came back as that I am the, the connector. 
that, that I put people together so that they can be successful. And I'm like, yeah. you know what that is? That is truly kind of who I am. And that's what I love to do. And yeah. where I love to love to help. So it's been great being able to do that at, at, at Imagine X because I've just been given this great opportunity. Like, you know, for me, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, why, why not, why not see that as a great thing? So, uh, yeah. And, and I think my team sees that as well. And, and I think that's part of the reason why we've been able to pull through this because even when things are down, I try to be optimistic. I'd, I'd be very serious and true about what's going on and transparent, but I always like to say, Hey, look, things are bad because of this and this reason, but here's what we're doing about it. So it's never, yeah. it's always be the, be the creator. Don't be the victim. That's, yeah. that's one of my mantras. Yeah. Come on. Well, man, thank I'm you for opening up and sharing about that. Sure. We got dual, dual connectors here. Um, Hi. Yeah, man. And there's, and Jordan is very similar. Like our team jokes about him saying he never has a bad day, right? They don't make that same joke about me. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah, I'm not a connector. Yeah. Um, this SOB I got to work with always have yeah, a yeah. bad day. That's <laughs> not true, but I don't have not as many good days as you. And I, I wonder if, if part of being a connector is you always see possibilities, right? People are yeah. possibilities, situations are possibilities, and you get excited yeah. to connect them, which means you have a radar for the possibilities versus the problems, right? Yeah. Super oh, cool. Absolutely. Man, uh, let's take you into the uh, lightning round, man. I got five <laughs> questions for you. Okay. Uh, question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Treat everyone as an equal. Work together because one plus one equals 10. Nice. Uh, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? I said this earlier, don't plan ahead too much. Yeah, like that. Uh, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? Oh, my goodness. It would be that, that uh, this, this pandemic's never going to end. Yeah. Um, what's your BHAG? What's the big, hairy, audacious goal? Mm -hmm. um, it's our vision to be better. That's a tough thing. It's a very, very tough thing to do. But if you focus, you know, operationally, fiscally, technically, and, and um, just socially, you can start making, making small steps to be a better person, be a better business person, um, be a better human. Yeah. Uh, all right, last question here. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you're going to go back to the future. Uh, go back to your past. You don't have to. You can't change anything. You just got to tell yourself one thing. When would you go back, and what would you say to yourself? Ooh, when would I go back? Um, I would probably go back to six years just before we started Imagine X. And I would probably say you need to embrace the suck, embrace the failures more, right? Don't get yeah. so down on the failures because you'll get through it. Yeah. That's Come awesome. on. Embrace so good. Suck. Embrace Talked the suck. That. Yeah, embrace the suck. And on, uh, on uh, Back to the Future trivia for our audience, I just, just saw this the other day on TikTok, and it's fantastic. So – the movie brilliance of Back to the Future, right, where we got the get back in DeLorean, is the mall that he left in was called Twin Pines Mall, right? Yeah. 
somebody caught this. I don't know how you, you got to watch the movie this many times to catch it. But in one of the back to the scenes futures, he runs through a farmer's yard and accidentally runs over a pine tree, which ends up being the land that the mall is built on. And later in the movie, it's called Solo Pine Mall. <laughs> Go from Twin Pine Mall to Solo Pine Mall. Anyways, there's your fun fact for the podcast <laughs> around our fun question. Facts. Yes. Sean, buddy, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Tr- truly, truly a joy to hear your story, to learn your wisdom, and uh, for sharing such encouragement with us and the other founders on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.